Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We are thrilled you've joined us for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a series entitled, Just Walk Across the Room. In this series, we learn how to invest and invite others to the gospel and therefore engage in life's greatest mission, sharing the love of Christ. May God bless you today as you enjoy this week's message. Welcome. How's everybody doing today? I, uh, I need to uh, welcome in the campuses, but before I do that, I'm going to believe by faith at the campuses, and I've, I need to give props where props are due. You guys came to do some church today. You guys are singing at the top of your lungs, so why don't we, I just want to say this, and I'm going to trust that all the campuses, it's the same. If you are excited to be here today, let me hear you shout. Yeah. Absolutely. You guys, you guys came to do some work, which I'm, I'm excited about. So welcome in to all of the campuses. I had a lot of fun uh, this week hanging out with all the campus pastors and all the campus worship leaders. All of us traveled together uh, down to the Columbia campus, which is starting on September 22nd. We all traveled together to, uh, to help them get started and, and get things together and to kind of canvas the community with all kinds of flyers and doing a lot of outreach. And so we're excited for what is about to take place down there. I'm excited for what's happening at all the campuses, including here at Central. Uh, today, we have our third and final installment of our series, Just Walk Across the Room. And I'm excited to, uh, to hop into that. So welcome wherever you may be, however you may be joining us. Welcome. We are, we are glad to have you. I want to sh- say this. We have been uh, doing this series based on the book by Bill Hybels called Just Walk Across the Room. So if you haven't picked up this book, uh, you can, and I would encourage you to do so. It's a phenomenal book. If you just say, I want to get this right, like I want to get evangelism, I want to get sharing my faith right, this book is a classic in helping you uh, do that very, very well. And we have it in our resource centers at every campus. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. And let me say this at the, at the beginning. I want to say this to, to all of us here, all of us at the campuses. I believe if you hear the words I'm saying today, if you allow God to speak to you and to, to do some work in your life, I believe that the trajectory of your life is going to be different after today. The, the things that we're going to be diving into today affect everything you do every day. And I just, I just believe that. So I want to say that from the beginning Dive in, lean in, because I believe God's going to do great things today. Let me open by asking a a series of questions. I think life change usually begins with asking ourselves some good questions. So let's start here. Number one, are you on mission? Are you on mission? Do you have a singular purpose for your life? Are you aware that God has a purpose that he is working out? Are you aware that God has a purpose he's working out and he has a place for you in that purpose? Do you have your life fully wrapped around that purpose? I mean, let me ask you this. What is, what is the separation between the life you're living and the life that you could be living fully in God? Let me say it another way. What is the gap between the life you're living and the unlived life within you? Let me ask that one again. If you remember one question today, I want you to remember that one. What is the gap between the life you're living and the unlived life within you? For many of us, we, we, we know. And for some of us, we, we, we're not aware. But you know what this looks like, right? You've pictured it. You've talked about it. You've prayed about it. But for one reason or, or another, you haven't fully stepped into the unlived life within you. 
What's remarkable for most of us, the life that we could be living, or maybe for some of us we'd say the life we should be living, is significantly far from where we currently are. But see, here's the deal. I believe God has a purpose for you. I believe God has a calling for you. I believe God has great things he wants to do in the world, and he wants to do them through you. Now, you might be saying, yeah, right, like the person next to me. No, you. I believe God has great things he wants to do in you and through you. But what's preventing you from closing the gap? What's preventing you from closing the gap? Believe it or not, the main thing for most of us, probably for all of us, the main thing that prevents most of us from stepping fully into the unlived life within us, it's not something external, it's something from within. And typically, it's fear and doubt. Maybe I need to say that again. For most of us, the, the number one thing that's preventing us from stepping fully into the life that God has for us, it's not something from the outside, it's something from the inside, and it usually looks like fear and doubt. Fear and doubt. We like to play the what-if game. In fact, I, I titled this message, What If, because I want to spin the what-if game on its head. Usually we say, what if, in a negative sense. We say, what if I try and I fail? What if I don't succeed? What if I risk and I fall on my face? What if I walk across the room to share my faith with someone and I just make a fool of myself? What if? And I want to spin it today. I want to spin it in a positive sense. And this goes beyond just the power of positive thinking, but to actually seeing what God could do in you and through you. So what if? What if you walked across the room and you succeed? What if you walk across the room and the person you've been praying for begins to follow Jesus with all their lives? What if you step out into the life that God has for you and you succeed and God does great things in you and through you, seeing what God can do with a life that's sold out to him? Moses in Exodus, he loved to play the what if game early on when God is calling Moses out of the desert, and he wants to send him back to Egypt to, to, to set his people free. Moses thinks of every excuse in the book that God cannot use him. He says, well, what if this, and, and what if that? And God says, I want to use you, Moses. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Then Moses answered, what if, there it is, they do not believe me or listen to me. What if they say the Lord did not appear to you? And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? To which Moses replied, a staff, which is a fancy word for a stick. <laughs> Moses was coming up with every excuse in the book. God, I can't be used because of this. God, you haven't supplied me enough things to go and free an entire nation from the strongest ruler on the face of this earth. God, I can't. What if I fail? And God looks at him and says, what's in your hand, Moses? In other words, he was saying to him, I have already given you everything you need to succeed. I've already placed it in your hand. What if today you begin to see what God has already placed in your hand? What if everything God purposes to do in you and through you, you already have at your disposal? You see, when all we see is what we lack, God sees what's in our hand. When all we see is what we lack, God sees what's in our hand. 
What if everything God saw that he could possibly do through you, you already have in your hand? Today we're going to sit on one particular passage. It's in Matthew 25. You can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. But in Matthew 25, Jesus is trying to explain to his people what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And he's sharing several parables. And he comes upon this one parable that he wants to share about the parable of the talents. And maybe you've heard it before, but I want to see it for all of us anew today. Matthew 25, verse 14, it says this, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once, and he traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. He hid his master's money. But all, catch this, all were gifted. We know nothing of what, if anything, they did to earn that level of trust that they were given. But all were given something. And scholars today, they're not really sure like what the exact measurement of a talent is today. But most agree it's somewhere around a million dollars today. So they were given much. Two took it and they doubled it. They, 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 they took what was given to them and they doubled it while one took it and he hid it in the ground. But all the, that the master saw they were capable of doing, he gave to them. So the first two, they took it and they doubled it. The third was just as capable as doubling the money the master gave to him. But he took it and he hid it in the ground. And in just a moment, we're going to look at the reasons why he might have hid it in the ground. But I just want to sit on the first thing that I said. All were gifted. All were given much. Or we can think that God hasn't gifted us like he's gifted the person next to us. But the truth is, all were gifted and all were given much. You see, if there's a large separation between the life you are living and the life that God has for you, it's not because God is holding out on you. You already have much in your hand. Have you ever seen someone who's looking for their sunglasses only to realize they're sitting on top of their head? My, my uh, oldest... My, my oldest daughter, she got glasses within the last year. And I remember right after she got her glasses, there was one day she was running around the house frantically. And I, I looked at her and I tried to kind of slow her down. I was like, you know, sweetie, like, what are you looking for? And she said, I'm looking for my glasses. She was afraid she lost her brand new glasses. And I looked at her and I said, sweetie, they're sitting on your, on your nose. <laughs> they're sitting on your face, right? I wonder today if God has given you things that are sitting on your face. You've been looking for something. You've been looking for a way that God could use you, could do something through you, and you didn't realize that he's already given it to you. Everything that he could do in you, everything he wants to do in you, he's already given you. When Moses came up with every excuse in the book, God said, what is that in your hand? What are you holding in your hand? I'll use it. It's a stick? Great. Right? And if we only see with our eyes, it's just a stick. But this is what God used to free a nation. He had already given it to Moses. Everything he wanted to do, he had already given to him. So what about you? What are you holding in your hand? What are you holding in your hand? Let me ask it a little different way. What do you love doing? What could you get lost in for hours doing that you could now turn? It's a big stick. 
that you can now turn to use for God's purposes? What do you love doing that you could use for the gospel? When Peter and his friends were out fishing, Jesus came alongside them and said, this fishing gig you got is great, but I, I want to do something else in you. In fact, I want, I want to use you to fish, but I want to use you to fish on a whole other level. Now you're going to fish for men. I'm going to use you to fish for people. You know how to fish. We're going to take that. We're going to do something with it. He found a, a band of renegades that he used to change the world through what they already knew how to do. Fish. A good friend of mine, whose name is Corey. I got to know Corey several years ago when my wife and I were church planning. Corey was a, was a guy that he had he'd grown up in the church, went off to college, to a Christian college. In his words, it was a very legalistic school. They had a lot of rules about what you wore and, and the things you said and the things you didn't do. There was a long list of things that you weren't supposed to be a part of. And I guess Corey had violated enough of those rules that they eventually kicked him out. And he was, he was uh, angry with God. He was angry with the church. He basically turned his back on the church. But whenever we were church planning, we ran in to Corey. And one day I invited him. I said, why don't you come and, and join us in church? He was kind of reluctant to do it, but he did it. And he walked in and every week I, did, I noticed I didn't have to ask. He just started coming back. He just started coming back. And then one day I just kind of pulled him aside. I'm like, what, are, what, what is God showing you? What is God teaching? You had given up on God. You had given up on the church. What is God showing you? He's like, I didn't realize that God can take the things I love and use them. I thought I had to take the things I love and get rid of them to follow God. Corey was a huge fan of photography. In fact, just he taught himself how to do it. He was a great photographer. Little by little, he started a business. Now he has one of the premier wedding photography businesses in, in the city of Indianapolis. He's just an amazing photographer. What he does, he and his wife, every year they save up the money or a lot of the money that they're getting uh, from being photographers. And then they take it and they go on the mission field. When they go on the mission field, he said, I, I just have a heart. I want to go and help missionaries who don't have a lot of money. I want to take pictures of what they're doing, and they can use those pictures to send it back to the States or you know, from, from first world countries so that they can show what it is that they're doing. They, they don't have means of doing this. And so he went and he took pictures just like this. Amazing photos. I asked Corey where he got these photos, and he said that he was with a, a group of missionaries that were trying to uh, establish a new road in, uh, in Vanuatu, in the South Pacific. There was a group of missionaries that were trying to build a new road to an unreached tribe. He was like, I wanted to go and share their story. I wanted to help them, give them media to be able to send it back and raise money. He took something that he loved and he began using it for the gospel. What is in your hand? What do you love that you could use to share with others? Another way of saying what's in your hand is what resources do you, do you have that you could leverage to help people find hope? What resources do you already have that you could leverage to help others find hope? In, in the New Testament, there's a man named Matthew. He's a tax collector. Jesus comes to him and he calls him to follow him. And when Matthew follows him, he begins to, to truly follow Christ with his all. He wants to invite his friends to know how to to, to follow Jesus or just to meet Jesus for the first time. And he doesn't know what to do. And so he throws a party. He throws a party. He knew how to throw parties. He was a tax collector. He was fairly wealthy. So he threw a party in honor of Jesus. And all of his friends come and they get to meet Jesus because he was the guest of honor. He used resources at his disposal to help others meet Jesus. Do you have a backyard? Do you have a barbecue? 
Do you have friends that you could invite over together and you could begin praying for your friends together? Several years ago, my wife and I, whenever we were church planning, we, we knew no one in this town. We were trying to, to begin church planning. And so we just started inviting our neighbors and anyone that we were meeting over to our house for a backyard barbecue. We met a young lady named Corinne who, who said, you know, I want to be a part of this church. And so she started coming to our backyard barbecue, but she didn't come alone. She would always bring a friend of hers named Samantha. Samantha did not like the church. She was not a fan of Jesus because most of the people that she saw that were Christians, in her words, were hypocrites. And if that's who Jesus was, she didn't want to be a part of him. But she kept coming to our backyard barbecues. And one day she said, hey, would you meet with me and talk with me? I want to know more about this guy named Jesus. So me and Corinne and Samantha, we went out for coffee one day. And while having coffee together, right there in that moment, she gave her heart to Christ. It all started in a backyard. About a month after that, I had the privilege of baptizing Samantha, one of the first people we baptized in our church. It was all because we just opened up our backyard and we were cooking burgers and we were inviting people over. Do you have a backyard? Do you have a barbecue? Can you bring people together and bring other new hopers together? And you just start praying for the hearts of your friends and your family together. What could happen if, like Peter, you got a grander vision for the things that you love to do? What if, like Matthew, you could leverage your resources to help people find hope? Believe it or not, you are all gifted. Wherever you are, God has gifted you. If you're a student, God has gifted you. If you're a parent, God has gifted you. If you're if you're a coworker, God has gifted you. He has placed you in opportunities and in places to share his message of hope. It's a great commission. He's invited you into it. It's a big thing, but he's, he's gifted you for the call. The question is this. Will you take your talents? Will you steward them well? Will you do something with them? Or will you simply hide them in the ground? I have some questions I want us to walk through today. Questions I think every person who wants to maximize the gift that God has given them, to maximize what he's placed in their hand. The first question is simply this. What if I chose to see with God's eyes and not mine? What if I chose to see with God's eyes and not mine? Let's hop back into Matthew 25, verse 19. It says this. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Then, one, then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then he goes on to do the same thing with the one who had two talents and went out and earned two more talents. He says, Enter into the joy of of your master. Then verse 24, just stick with the first part, A. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man. Does that sound like the master we meet in the first part? Right? Who, who the first two flourished under. They were given something. They went out and they doubled it. They come back and the master says, Well done, faithful, trustworthy servant. Enter into the joy of of your master. The third one says, I knew you to be a harsh man. I knew you to be a harsh man. You see, the third servant had a completely different mindset going in. Have you ever realized, have you ever noticed that we often find what we're looking for? We often find what we're looking for. If you wake up, you had a bad night's sleep, you wake up in a bad mood, you're pretty sure it's going to be a bad day. You typically have a bad day, right? 
we are really good at finding that for which we are, are looking for. The first two saw what the master gave them as a gift. And they treated it as a gift. They went out and they doubled it. The third one saw it as a burden. Now, isn't it interesting? It was the same master. They were all given talents. The first two saw it as a gift. The last one saw it as a burden. Since it was a burden, he went out, he ran from it, and he hid it in the ground. What about you? So often we can feel like God gave us the short end of the stick, right? If we're convinced that God gave us the short end of the stick, we often live our lives like he gave us the short end of the stick, right? Sometimes our lives feel like, God, couldn't you have given me just a little bit more? We often find what we're looking for. We wake up with that mindset. We continue in that mindset every day of our lives. We often find what we are looking for. To which I would say, join the club, right? Except for the few of us here in the room that, that feel like, you know, maybe you're God's gifted creation. And we'll, we'll have a different talk for you on a different day. We all feel inadequate, right? We all have days, we all have moments where we feel inadequate. Like we just don't measure up. But here's the deal. If you persist in that mindset, you will never close the gap between the life you're living and the unlived life within you. We often find what we're looking for. I remember one of the first times I was invited to speak in front of students. There was a, a larger church in my little small town of Indiana. I was invited to speak for the student ministry, and I was really excited, but just to be honest, I was, I was like scared out of my mind. Like I just, I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to do it, you know what I mean, just because I was so scared. I walked up in front of the students. I had great notes. I had great things I was going to say, and I walked up, and I kid you not, I forgot everything I was going to say. I tried to speak, and nothing would come out. I look back at, the, at the, the student pastor and he just said this, just pray. <laughs> pray and get out. <laughs> I was afraid coming in, right, that I would mess it up and I found what I was looking for. Are you with me? We often find that for which we're looking. You see, if you only see the obstacle in front of you and not the God who's bigger than that obstacle, you'll never get around it. You will never get around it. Whatever you're facing in life might be too big for you, but it's not too big for God. It's not too big for God. You might say, well, what if, right? There's, there's the game. What if I fail? What if I risk? To which I want to say today, what if you don't? What if this time it's the turning point that God uses to change where you're heading in life? What if? See, I believe sitting in this room today and sitting at all of our campuses there are organizations that are waiting to be built. There are ideas, there are, are ventures, there are projects. There are songs to be written, there are books to be written. There are things that God is placing within you that are only going to come to life if you believe that God wants to do something profound in you. That every moment, every day, God is waiting to use what you already have in your hand. You just have to believe it too. You have to believe that God wants to do something great in you. So what if? What if we change the question today and we say, God, what if you could use me to do something great? What if you could use me to save that person in my family that everyone else has written off? What if you could use me to witness to my neighbor, to my coworker, whatever it might be? God, what if you could use me for that? So the first thing is, what if we chose to see ourselves with God's eyes and not our own? Question number two, what if I chose to take ownership and stop blaming others? 
What if I chose to take ownership and to stop blaming others? Verse 24, let's read it again. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man. He's accusing the master. I knew you were a harsh man, so I was afraid and I went off and I hid the talent that you gave me. Right? It's not his fault. It's not his fault that he put it in the ground. It's not his fault that the other two went and did something great with what they were given. It was the master's fault. I knew you to be a harsh man. So he begins to accuse, right? It wasn't his fault. It's so much easier to blame others for our shortcomings, isn't it? So much easier to let ourselves off the hook. We do that by blaming others, right? We become experts at blaming others for what we lack. And I wonder how long will we play that game? to continue to blame others for what we lack. At some point, right, we have to realize we're the, we're, the, we're the common denominator. We have to actually look in the mirror, right? Like if every boss you've ever had is a jerk, if every relationship you've ever been in is a broken one, right? If every venture you've ever sought out, didn't succeed, maybe it's not someone else's fault. What's the common denominator? Right? You can't move forward until you accept reality. Right? This is where I am. I'm going to, today, today I'm going to begin to change that. Right? We've been singing songs at all of our campuses today about God being our healer. I believe that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God could actually heal you of that today? That no longer am I going to blame others for what I'm lacking. No longer am I going to blame others for my shortcomings. I'm going to take responsibility for them. And believe that today God could do something different in me. So that's the first part of that. What if I chose to take ownership and stop blaming others? We become experts at blaming others for what we lack. But here's the second part. We are great at keeping our crutches. We are great at keeping our crutches, right? Something may have happened to you that sets you back and it wasn't your fault. Someone may have hurt you and it wasn't your fault. But the question today is how long will you stay in that? How long will that continue to define who you are? How long will it continue to shackle you, right? We are great at keeping our crutches, Stop blaming someone else and start believing that God is bigger than whatever they did to you. Stop blaming that situation and believe that God has something new in store for you today. Right? Like, we serve the God who took a crown of thorns and made it into a crown of glory. We serve a God who took the cross, which was the most horrendous thing to ever happen on the face of our planet, and he turned it into the salvation of the world. You serve a God who, whatever you have faced... Whatever crutch you've been carrying, he can take that. He can use it as an opportunity to do something new in you today. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Second question, what if I chose to take ownership and stop blaming others? The third is this. What if I chose to put in the work rather than look for shortcuts? What if I chose to put in the work rather than look for shortcuts? Let's continue reading. Let's read all of verse 24 this time. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, 
reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. Think about that for a moment. I know you reap where you do not sow. I know you gather where you do not scatter. What a ridiculous thing to say. Right? Galatians 6, 7 says this, you will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. In other words, the servant was looking at the master and saying, it's always been easier for you. Right? Like if I had your resources, I would then be better. If I had what those other guys have, if I have what you gave them, then things would be better. We like to play this game a lot, don't we? What if today we chose to put in the work to believe that you reap what you sow, you harvest what you plant, and we chose to put in the work instead of looking for shortcuts? So often we look at where people arrive, but we don't look at the work it took to get them there. I've, over the years, I've, I've had people say, I would love to, to, to preach like you, or they might say, moreover, it's happened a lot since I've been here at New Hope. I've had young leaders come to me and they say, I would love to preach on a stage like New Hope. And I get it because it's, it's a tremendous honor. I, I love getting to do what I get to do and to speak to all the campuses. It's a huge honor. But my response to them is always this. Are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to do years of learning? Are you willing to put in the hours that no one will ever see? Are you willing, right? Are are you willing to do the things that aren't fun because they're mission critical, right? Like when I stand on the stage today, there's 15 years in the making here, right? Now, some of you might be saying, wow, 15 years, you should be better than that. I get it. That's cool. (laughs) I understand. But 15 years of failing, 15 years of succeeding, 15 years of hitting the mark and missing the mark, 15 years of risking and put it all out there on the line only to fall on my face, but the next time I didn't fall on my face. 15 years of putting in the work. When my wife and I were church planners in Indiana, we just knew, we just believed that God wanted to do something bigger in our lives, and he wanted to, he wanted to up our leadership. He wanted to use us to speak to more people. And so we, uh, we accepted an invitation to go out to Los Angeles to, to serve in a, a leadership cohort, kind of like an internship at a, at a really an internationally known church. And when we went out there, we're like, how amazing would it be to be able to stand on that stage and speak to the world? You want to know what I did when I got there? I scrubbed toilets. Every weekend, we would turn a nightclub, it was a nightclub on Saturday nights, into a church on Sunday. We cleaned up a nightclub <laughs> on Sunday mornings to turn into to church for young adults on a Sunday. Every Sunday, I showed up, and I, I cleaned the toilets. I mopped the floor, and you can imagine what we were cleaning up. And there'd be times that I would bring my, my daughter, who at the time was, uh, she was probably three years old, I would take her, and I would sit her on a bar stool. And I just wanted her to see, I just wanted her to watch dad work. That whatever God does in us in life, it started here. It started here, putting in the work. I never stepped on a stage. I never stepped on a platform because I had to earn the right to be heard. I had to earn the right to be heard. What about you? Are you willing to put in the work? Look at what the master says to the servant in verse 26. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. Those are pretty harsh words, right? The master detested that he was given a gift and he took it and he buried it away in the ground. 
to the point that he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Now, this is a story, but let's not forget that this is Jesus who's speaking, right? The epitome of God's love. And he's saying, if I give you a gift, I don't want you to hide it in the ground. I want you to use it. What is in your hand? What's in your hand today? Your goal should be to steward it for God's glory. Your goal in life should be to use whatever God puts in your hand to steward it for his glory, that others would come to know him. I love what the author Emma Bombeck says. She says, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have one single bit of talent left and could say, I used everything you gave me. What an awesome thing to say, right? That when I get to the end, and none of us know when that is, I used everything you gave me, right? The greater the call, the greater the potential, the bigger the the dream, the harder it's going to be. Right? The more resistance you're going to face. It won't be easy. There won't be shortcuts. But it's worth it. It's worth it. You begin to live the life for which you were created when you're willing to sow, but first reap. You harvest what you plant. The fourth and final question I want us to look at today is simply this. What if I stewarded my God-given talent instead of being shackled by my fears? What if I stewarded my God-given talent instead of being shackled by my fears? Let's look at verse 24 again. We'll hop into verse 25. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Why did he hide the talent in the ground? He was afraid. He was afraid. The greatest obstacles to you closing the gap between the life you're living and the unlived life within you often comes from within. And it usually looks like fear and doubt. When you picture, when you imagine, God, could you use me to do this? Could you use me to reach this person? What fears begin to creep up inside of you? Just call them out to yourself. When you're praying, say, God, I see that. God, I, I, I feel this coming up in, but God, I believe that you are bigger than that fear. You see, if we allow them, our fears will define us. Our fears will define us. I remember after I graduated from high school and I was about to head into college, my, my parents were doing a lot of work on, on, on our house. And so we hired a contractor and he was just doing a ton of work all around doing renovations. And I knew God had a plan for my life, but I wasn't exactly sure what it was. And so I kind of had this sort of odd dream to be a contractor. Just sort of popped up over the summer, right? It wasn't a long dream. And so I began asking the contractor, can I help you? Can I learn what you do? And he said, sure. And he actually said, I'll pay you to help me do some of the work. And so I did some of the work inside the house, and I was okay at it. Then one day he said, we're going to tackle the roof today. Are you ready to, to tackle the roof? And so... We got up and we, we, we tore off the shingles. And then I, I remember I, I climbed up on the ladder and I got a, a pack of shingles. I don't know if you've ever carried one of these up a ladder, but they're like 75, 80 pounds, right? I had never touched the package of shingles in my life. I put on the 75, 80 pounds and I stepped onto the ladder and I thought to myself, this isn't going to end well. And I walked up the ladder and got all the way on the roof. Funny enough, I had been on this roof all of my life. Never, never, never. I was never afraid of it. Just different things helped my dad. But somehow with this pack on my shoulder, I was. 
Then I stepped out. I don't know if you've ever seen when, when roofers will put like boards across the roof so they can walk out and they can work on the roof. And I got out on the roof and I looked down and I'm some 30 feet up on this pretty significant pitch. And I'm holding these 75 pounds of shingles on my shoulder and I froze. <laughs> I, I couldn't move a muscle. I looked down and I looked at the roof and I looked down and I looked at the roof. I somehow wiggled myself down, put the shingles down, walked down the ladder and I, there was my contracting career right there. <laughs> I was afraid, so went the dream. I'm kind of glad that dream went by the wayside. What about you? If we allow them, our fears will define us. You see, here's the deal. If you pray big prayers and you come up with big dreams, you will be afraid. If you begin to pray today or you've been praying over the past several weeks, God, help me to reach my friend. Help me to reach my coworker. Help me to reach my neighbor. You're probably afraid. It's healthy right? You probably are afraid. That's just part of the game. But here's the deal. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to push through that fear? I remember when I was in eighth grade, I wanted to know God. my, My parents didn't go to church. Their parents didn't go to church. I would say as far back as we can tell, we were heathens, right? Like nobody, nobody went to church. But we lived across, we were living out in the country, and there was a small United Methodist church across the field, and I would watch people pull into the church every Sunday, and I wanted to know what they knew, but nobody told me. I would lie awake at night, and I would, and I would pray. I didn't know it was called prayer, but I would talk to God, like, God, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to know what heaven's about. I don't want to know what this hell thing's all about. Like, God, if, if you're real, make yourself known to me. I was praying that somebody would invite me to church. In eighth grade, a friend of mine, another eighth grader, can you imagine how scared an eighth grader was to invite somebody else to church? Came and said, you want to go to church with me? To which I said, absolutely, can I go this Sunday? Because I was waiting on someone to invite me. Within months, my friend and my pastor were baptizing me in a lake. They could not have possibly seen me standing on a stage today preaching the gospel when they invited me. But I'm so glad they pushed through the fear. I'm so glad they pushed through the fear. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like me. You're like, I didn't know that God had a vision for my life. I didn't know God had a purpose for my life. I didn't know God loved me enough to put people in my path so that I would know him. I didn't know God loved me enough to use me to put me in other people's path that they could know him. And here's the deal. I believe today that that could all change for you. I believe today that could change for you. That God loves you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He wants to use you and do something incredible through you. The question is, do you believe it? See, we can play the what if game, right? We can play it in a negative sense. You know, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work out? What if I look like a fool, right? And we allow the fear to build up in. Or we can do it in another way. We can say, what if, God? What if they say yes? And what if in just a couple of weeks they're sitting next to me? They're sitting next to me in one of these seats. What if they say yes and within a few months I'm out there and I'm baptizing them? What if they catch a purpose and a vision for their life and they begin to sell out their whole life for you? Just like my friend Corey who's now out there doing great things to, to, to advance the kingdom of God in the South Pacific. What if they say yes? What if you say yes to all that God could do in you? What if you look today and say, what's in my hand? What's in my hand that God could use to do something great? At all of our campuses, the band is going to come out in just a minute. And they're, going to, they're going to play a song. And I, I want you just to sit in it for a moment and allow it to be sung over you. 
and to hear the words. You see, here's the deal. If you believe, if you've received the love of Christ into your life, the same power that rose Christ up from the grave lives inside of you. The same power that rose Christ up from the grave lives inside of you. I'm going to keep saying it until I get a few amens. The same power that rose Christ up from the grave lives inside of you. What could God do with that? You see, you start to close the gap between the life you're living and the unlived life within you when you believe that all that God purposes to do in you, he's already placed in your hand. Let's pray together. Father God, Father, I pray that for every one of us sitting in here today, everyone sitting at all the campuses, God, people of all ages, children, students, eighth graders, adults, God, people that you have gifted to do something with, God, would they see the beauty of what you placed in their hand? God, would they catch a vision for how they could use what they love for the talents that you've given them for the resources you place in their hand God would we believe that the same power that rose Christ up from the grave lives in us God today I pray that we would catch a vision for if, if thousands of new hopers would begin to say what if in a positive sense they begin to say yes to you they begin to push through the risk they begin to push through the fear and the doubt that we can get a picture for thousands of new hopers going out and sharing our faith with our neighbors and with our friends and our coworkers. That the church we see in front of us today, as beautiful as it is, will be very different in just a few short weeks, in a few short months, in a few short years. God, will we catch a vision for what you could do in us and through us, not someday in the future, but today. God, help us to see what you placed in our hands today. And to your son's powerful name we pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.